It's John and Rock. Now hear this.
She keeps them always shining in her pretty cabinet. Let them eat cakes, she says, just like Marie Antoinette. A building remedy for Chris Jaff and Kennedy at any time. An invitation you can't decline. Caviar and cigarettes, well versed in etiquette, extraordinarily nice. She's a killer. Queen, gunpowder, gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam, guaranteed to blow your mind. Recommended at the price, insatiable in appetite. Wanna try? To avoid complications, she never kept the same address. In conversation, she spoke just like a baroness. Met a man from China, went down to Geisha Minor. Then again, incidentally, if you're that way inclined, perfume came naturally from Paris. Because she couldn't care less, fastidious and precise. She's a killer queen, gunpowder, gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam, guaranteed to blow your mind. Drop of a hat, she's as willing as playful as a pussy cat. The momentarily out of action, temporarily out of gas. Absolutely dry. She's out to get you. She's a killer. Queen, gunpowder, gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam, guaranteed to blow your mind. Recommended at the price, insatiable and appetite. Wanna try? You wanna try?
one you may well know, you may not know it, and if you don't know it, I really don't know where you've been. So you should know the tune. Here we go.
won't you try to understand? about warming up and getting into it right about here. So this is Rock and John. We're, we're back now after playing several songs to you. And uh, we're going to tell you a little about those songs if yeah, you're the, good. The first one was a little classical intro into the Pete Townsend Let My Love Open the Door. From Empty Glass. Yeah, the, the uh, Empty Glass. Tremendous, tremendous record. It's a, it's his, I think it's his best solo record. No, I vote for that too. You know, Easily. His best real solo record. I mean, his, uh, Who Comes First that came out in 1972 was really demos. Hmm. Fine demos. but. In this case, I uh, was futzing around with the radio and heard this little classical melody. And I was just horsing around with, again, my Nakamichi 500 cassette deck. You that thing. You know, I am in love with it. And I just found a break in it, and my ear told me this could work with the, uh, with this song. And I think it did. I think it's kind of a cool so way to open it, it up. And then the uh, second song we did is uh, High Roller. Which is... Uh, My Little Feet? Yeah, Little Feet. Us, us playing a Little Feet. <laughs> how did that happen? How did that go on? That's, uh, that's from um, uh, Time Loves a Hero. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah that's, I love High Roller. I love their live recordings of High Roller that are, that are just great. But that's a, yeah. just a fine record. You know. And then after that, we did uh, the, just the vocal performance of Freddie Mercury doing Killer Queen. Which is pretty killer if you ask me and as you probably noticed dear listener we left the spaces where there'd be solos and stuff like that so you're actually listening to the track at in real time with just without any uh, instrumentation so i hope i hope you all enjoy and appreciate that then we have an alice cooper track the alice cooper track is it continues my love for the album muscle of love which it just so happens is being reissued as a four-channel SACD uh, to the audiophile crowd. It's being put out by Audio Fidelity Productions. It's uh, Muscle of Love was the last Alice Cooper band album uh, in November 1973. It ca- originally came in a, a cardboard box, literally a cardboard box with a record inside of it. <laughs> in any event, um, it, it, this song never been sold before. I'm just putting it on because it's just a great rock and roll tune. Really, it's just that simple. It's just a great rock and roll song. Great lyrics, great everything, great performance. We're following that up with a really, really fantastic version of uh, Paul McCartney's Maybe I'm Amazed by The Faces. Uh, and it starts out with uh, Ronnie Lane, the late, late Ronnie Lane, singing the first part of uh, Maybe I'm Amazed, sounding very much like Paul McCartney. And then the band kicks in and Rod Stewart takes over. Now, wasn't this the only live track on an otherwise studio album? I believe so, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was, they, uh, I think they tried it several times in the studio and it just didn't work. As a matter of fact, when you and I were putting this episode together, I had a version, although it was another live version, mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand why it wasn't happening. And I realized we had the wrong version. One that we th- wanted the version from the album Long Player. And that made all the difference. Yeah. One of the things I love about this song is that the parts are so good that even if you cover it and make it your own, you still have to play that guitar solo note for note. You have to play that piano part note mm-hmm. for note. It's that perfect a song. You know, it's, it is a perfect song. And it just shows, I mean, how great the Beatles were. I mean... 
the Beatles were, for all intents and purposes, breaking up at that point. But Paul was, and Paul played all the instruments on the McCartney album, but that one song just stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, it's as good as any Beatles song is. So let's talk about tension and release and songs. What do we mean by tension and release, John? I don't know. I think we mean a tightness of the artist to the song, to the rhythm, to the instrument. Buildup of power as a song goes on. Uh, constraint. And then power a, and constraint. And then an exhale. And then a great big exhale. You know? we, we could get we could go in really dirty places, folks, but we're not. We don't. This isn't that kind of show. Michael Hedges. This particular track. The late Michael Hedges is is just one of my favorite covers. It's one of my favorite tracks by Michael Hedges. I don't think he ever recorded it as a studio version. And this particular recording came from the Crosby, Stills and Nash at the UN. At the UN, it was a broadcast. This is like the late 80s, 1988, 1989, something like that. Oh, well, I think the, I was there. Oh yeah, I, no, I was definitely there, and you were. There. Oh yes, I was because I was sitting at a desk with a microphone. Yeah. Yes, and it was cool, and and I recorded it off the radio, and he was the opening act. He and, was the opening act, and if I remember correctly, this is in the like early afternoon or something yes, like that. Yeah. yeah. And it was an odd time for like this kind of concert. It was a gray, cold day. I remember that. Just wonderful. Oh, stellar. The, the way he's in control. It's like a Ferrari staying in third gear. And and I love this version. And I've put this version on many a mixed tape or CD. Yeah, or send somebody. It's free. like he's got a whole bunch of tigers on chains, and he's in complete yeah. control of them. All right. Well, let's go start off with Michael Hedges. Let's listen. Go wrong, they always do. She drives me crazy. 
next song you chose was Armistice Day by Paul Simon. A lot of Michael Hedges' very heavy-handed bass string playing, where he really would just let it rattle. It it immediately reminded me of an obscure song called Armistice Day off of Paul Simon's uh, first solo album, the eponymously titled one. came out uh, in 1971, about a year year or two after uh, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. It was his first solo album, and it was a, it's a very unusual album, a very, very rewarding album. And the song Armistice Day is just a very curious uh, set of lyrics, um, a very interesting song structure. But what really struck me was the, uh, the way Paul plays the acoustic guitar and just really hits those strings sometimes. But at the same time, you can tell he's in complete control of what's going on because there are some very delicate uh, guitar parts as well. He goes from one to the other seamlessly several times Mm -hmm. throughout the song. Although it's not about that kind of tension release, there's no denying what's going on there. This is a short bit from an interview I did with Sting. I was talking to Les Paul and I was talking about invention. And I said, do you see these things complete in your head or do you tinker until you get it? And Les says, oh no, I just wake up and go, that's it. Mary, we're taking the car and going to, you know, Ampex and we're going to make this thing. Do you see it? Is that having a song for you? That's not the way it works. I wish I could just walk in the garden and a song would occur to me. Sometimes a fragment of a song can, can just come to you while you're making breakfast or walking. Or just a fragment. But really, you, you know, the business of songwriting is, is making, is building from these fragments. And that just takes getting down to work at 9 o'clock in the morning and tinkering, you know, using that fragment with that fragment and trying to join them together, either, either lyrically or harmonically or chromatically, so, you know, trying to add things up to make, make something of substance. It's, it's not, I never see the whole thing, I wish. That takes genius, but no, I have to work. Songwriting is the hardest intellectual pursuit I've in my life. It's the hardest, most painful thing, the thing I avoid like the plague. <laughs> I'd rather be on tour. You know, I'd rather be a sportsman. I'd rather be a gardener. And yet, this is the, the whole the whole structure of my life is based on this very uh, ephemeral thing, you know, where you, you know, I, I think of a melody and I, I think of a piece of doggerel and I add both things together and that, that's what my whole life is based on and also every, everyone around me's life is based on me thinking of this stuff. So in a way it's a, it's a constant source of anxiety and yet a constant source of the greatest pleasure. What's the pebble in your shoe then that gets this oyster going? Because if you could you would avoid it. If I could, I would avoid it. Uh, get a sense of responsibility, a sense that, you know, if I actually do put my nose to the grindstone after a certain amount of time, there will be something, there will be a, a jewel. There so will you will take time, you'll say, okay, I'm going to turn it on like a light switch or try to. It's 9 o'clock, I'm going to sit down at whatever instrument. I'll work till 12, and maybe there'll be one fragment that I'll keep out of all that. I mean, that's like a writer. I give myself a deadline. I say, uh, I... I phone my musicians. I say, okay, on April the 12th, you're going to come to my house and we're going to have 10 songs to work on. It's now February. <laughs> right? I have to fucking do that amount of work in that time. I'd rather be on holiday. So you will actually 
look at the clock and, and it's work. You punch the time clock, so to speak. Yeah, I will say I will not produce. Then you really have to get into some serious therapy, you know, because I'm not, I'm not really the one either to, to want to make music just for the sake of making music. I really have to have something to say. You know, since my last record, I need to have learned something either about music, about myself, about the world, in order to to feel justified in saying anything. There's too there's too much music. There's too much on the airways. Too many frequencies already filled up. Why should I add to it? I hope I'm honest enough to be able to say, well, if I have nothing left to say, it's coherent or useful, then I should say nothing. But you know, I have to trust myself that if I put myself through it, there will be something coming. Was it always this hard to write music? Um, no, no. I think when you're younger, you're more confident. You know, I think only the uh, certainty is really a territory of the ignorant. <laughs> you know, when you're young, you're ignorant about it. You know, I was talking to James Taylor about songwriting the other day, and I said, you know, that it's funny that that you know you and I and our contemporaries write music very, you know, simply. You know, we we are, we're not intimidated. Aren't we? we weren't when we were young. Classical musicians, on the other hand, from the age of four, are dominated by these huge figures of Mozart and Bach uh, and Haydn. And to even conceive of writing a piece of music with those people over you is inconceivable. So they don't. most classical musicians don't write music. They just use the body that exists. Well, so, but we, you know, listen to Fats Domino. Oh, we could work those chords out. Yeah, I could write a song. You know, there's, there's, you know, we started that way, and I'm glad we started that way. So uh, it's, it's strange. When I talk, I'm an English man in New York. You see me walking down Fifth Avenue, a walking cane here at my side. I take it everywhere I walk. I'm an Gentlemen will walk but never run If manners maketh manners, someone said He's the hero of the day It takes a man to suffer ignorance and smile Be yourself, no matter what they say
next song is The Very Thing That Makes You Rich, Makes Me Poor by Rye Cooter. This was one of my favorite songs of the year, the year that it came out on the Bob 1979. Yeah, Bob To Your Drop album. And the interplay between Rye Cooter and David Lindley is just uh, fantastic. They're simmering. It n- never reaches the boil. It just simmers and steams. Tension and release. Ah, it's just great. Right in a hand The very thing that 
makes a rich will make you poor. Mm -hmm. The very thing that makes her rich will make you poor. That's right. Well, I put you behind the wheel of a deuce and a quarter. Yes, I did.
that we went into uh well mr bruce springsteen and the e street band live version of backstreets from the, the uh hammersmith odeon in 1975 i believe that was the uh, uh born to run tour it was i think this is my favorite legally released springsteen live album of all really? the albums that he put out i think every rendition on here is just is that fantastic. available as a standalone yes, record it, originally it wasn't originally oh, that's why i don't have yeah. it i think is because I, I, yeah. I think it was part of a big 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 box yeah then they released it as a, as a double disc and i would recommend it to any springsteen fan who you know you might dismiss it because it's well it's it's a pretty dynamic recording yeah. i gotta say i mean it's it's bruce at going at full steam at the time when all the world had their eyes on him and he was brand new but he was big and in backstreets i mean it, it sort of shows you why he got big you know yeah, so very how do you get up good. there this is how you get up there i'm not sure why this subject came up but just the idea of songs that make you cry and it did not last very long around here because as john said to me while we were putting together after the second so, well, technically, the third song, John said, that's enough. We don't want to do this to them, you know, meaning the audience. We don't want to make the audience cry too much because we really picked some beauties here. So you picked a song by David Bromberg that I'd never heard before. It is the only uh, original song from David Bromberg's uh, 1989 album, which was called Sideman Serenade. And it was the first album he'd made since his quote-unquote retirement from recording in the... I guess it was late 70s or something like this. This came out in 89. And uh, it's just one of those songs that's deceptive in that it's, it's actually quite a pretty country-esque uh, song. Uh, but when you listen to the lyrics, they cut like a knife. It's, uh, it's really beautiful, yet really melancholy. 
And if you have a child, it really cuts un- even deeper. It'll, exactly, exactly. And then you followed that. Well, it turns out we, we both knew these next songs, and they're, they're both very uh, obscure. But John, that immediately led John to pick the next song. Yeah, which was a, a Joe Walsh song. I don't know what it's called. I think it's called The Friend Song. I think called? it is. It's called the Friends, Friends song. song. It's from uh, Joe's very obscure uh, Columbia album that was came out in uh, 1992 called Songs for a Dying Planet. It's a very obscure album. It was his last album for Columbia. It was and, the uh, song that he wrote for Sam Kinison. His friend Sam Kinison, who had died recently at that time in a, a really kind of terrible auto accident. And uh, it really got to Joe anyway, Walsh. It, it's a song about everlasting uh, friendship and it just is beautiful as a song melodically heart-wrenching heartbreaking and also it it does suck you in you know you don't you're not repelled by it and i think uh, uh pat i'm going to dedicate this to you because you're my best friend there you go
We shared each other's dreams and plans For later on when we both had time at hand And weren't so damn busy Me and my friend don't understand Dear God Where is he? Where is he? And so my friend I must say so long for now Your time is over I must go on So John had a great idea. He said, let's pick a bunch of songs to play. They're songs that you'd give a standing ovation to. You know, you always hear these live tracks. And I always wonder, would I clap like that if I heard that exact rendition? Exactly. <laughs> but these songs are the ones that Rock and I would absolutely stand up and give that ovation to, standing ovation. Now, I got to say, on my part, there's, these are, you know, I could go to town on this one. Mm-hmm. So these are just a few songs that, uh, for me, for my part in this, I just picked kind of randomly. Uh, okay, I was looking at my iTunes list. That's why the first song starts with an A, and that's that's Alimony by Ry Cooter. This version is uh, from his fine, fine live album released in 1977 called Showtime. He's recorded this song Alimony several times. He's recorded it in the studio. There are some, uh, let's say, gray area live recordings out there. And no matter what the band is that he's using, it always a completely different arrangement. This time he was touring with a Tex-Mex band with Flaco Jimenez on accordion. A bunch of other people that had helped him make his uh, 1976 album called Chicken Skin Music. And this was from that tour. And it just I just think it's fantastic. I think it's his first live album. It was, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it might be his only official live album. I could be wrong about that. Well, he that. has one out now. He put one yeah. out. Oh, like, right. He, you're right. He put one out a couple of years ago. It's a good record. But anyway, this was the only one he did during his Warner Brothers era, the classic records era, the classic era of, of Ry Cooter. And uh, he's got uh, Bobby King and Terry Evans. It's Bobby King and Terry Evans Jr. do the background vocals, who sing background vocals on just about every Ry Cooter album. Very distinctive couple of guys. With One has a very low vocal, and one, one guy does the tenor. And the beginning of Alimony is just 
it'll get me every time. We could have stuck that in the crybaby side, <laughs> a crybaby baby section of this this particular episode. But I think it's just wonderful. After I'd put on Alimony, which John and I both love, you immediately picked the next song. I mean, just in that a snap. That's a Stevie Wonder rendition of Higher Ground with Sting doing Roxanne at that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Madison Square Garden performance. And I, I was there. It was a yeah, big all-star thing. It was an all-star thing. thing. It was fantastic. I mean, isn't it great, once again, to have the music be as good or better than the photograph you would take from the stage. Right, better than the... Yeah, yeah. These guys are on fire. They're playing together. And usually those things, that doesn't happen. Usually when you got that many people on a stage, it's very mediocre. And this isn't. And this is great. It's got a great horn chart. Everything about it. I would absolutely stand up, for, give that one a standing ovation. And then I, for whatever reason, picked a very unusual, uh, uh, very, very much unheard Van Morrison track that was released uh, several years ago. On Van Morrison had put together a collection of unreleased music through the years. The name of the album was The Philosopher's Stone. It was a double CD of just, I think it ran uh, outtakes from 1971 through the late 90s. Anyway, there was a, a during one of his aborted uh, album recording sessions, this one in 1975, he did a very, very quick version of a, of, a, of John Henry, the old... Uh, folk song? Yeah, folk, it's a folk song, uh, you know, okay, we'll call it a folk song. It's a railroad song. <laughs> it is a railroad song, but... Uh, and um, but it's it's very clear that it's a, uh, a one take, very live in the studio. You hear Van actually giving instructions to <laughs> like the guitar player by name. He'll go John, you know, and the guy does a solo. But it's just it gets over. The, Van just lets it all hang out on this one. I mean, he's really giving you the Caledonia soul. The only thing missing are the horns. There are no horns, but it's a, a, a small rock band and Van on harmonica. And boy, he just lets it rip. We end with one of the all-time great studio tracks. Without the track, it's the Jackson 5 acapella version of Never Can Say Goodbye. And you realize this young Michael Jackson is as amazing as we all thought he is, would be. You know, people, you know, the lightning bolt came out of the sky and hit him or something. Because it's just, it's amazing. He must have been, I don't know, I'd say 12 or 13 or something when he did it. It's just where he gets the, you know, the wise beyond his years uh, vocal performance and, and what he does with it, it just spellbinding. Yeah, and, and the nakedness of uh, just hearing that vocal, you go, yeah. boy, he's way, way into it. And we all You're know and magic. love the track, and to hear it this way is illuminating. It's just, it's, it's yeah. amazing. It's magic. It's great.
never can say goodbye. Every time I think I've had enough, I start heading for the door. There's a very strange vibration that piercing me right to the core. It says, turn around, you fool. You know you love me more and more. Tell me why. Is it so? Don't want to let you go. I never can say goodbye, girl. Ooh, ooh, baby. I never can say goodbye. No, 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 no. Ooh, oh. I never can say goodbye, girl. Never can say goodbye. No, 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 no. Why? Never can say goodbye. I keep thinking that our problems soon are all gonna work out. But there's that same unhappy feeling. That there's that anguish. There's that doubt. It's the same old dizzy hangup. Can't do with you all without. Tell me why? Is it so? Don't wanna let you go. I never can say goodbye, girl. Ooh, ooh, baby. I never can say goodbye. No, 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 no. Ooh, oh, I, I never can say goodbye, girl. That's what we're talking about.